We're going to finish, or at least I'm going to. We are going to finish regardless. We're going to finish the book of Exodus tonight. And so um, you're thinking, if you're in 33, if we're supposed to be in 3410, and you're telling us we're going to start in 33, and there's seven more chapters, how are we going to finish tonight? Well, um, I, I want to... Uh, if Brian cue up a little video, I want to get to this video eventually. But, you know, th- there's been something that, and I'll tell you how, this is how. 35 through 40, as we go through it and as we read it, some of it in sections is verbatim what we've already read. And so the way the book of Exodus lays out is that um, God, Moses is up on the mountain. 20, we have uh, what happens in chapter 20 of Exodus, super powerful. We stopped and we spent six weeks there. Something is given, 10 of them. 10 commandments are given in Exodus 20. We have this monumentous moment where where Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai and and the Lord appears and speaks to the people. And and, and Moses is up and, and for the next... Um, 12 chapters, we have God dictating to Moses the plans for the temple, the law, the Ten Commandments. And um, but it's all it hasn't been built yet. And then as we get into 35 through 40, it's basically the same stuff reiterated. And um, now it's the actual application of it. And so why did God give us everything um, laid out in the first part of Exodus and then go back and, and repeat basically so much of, of what he's already said. And, and again, as we talked, we saw last week that Moses goes to this tabernacle, but not the tabernacle that, that the children of Israel, because it hadn't been built yet. And so in 35 to 40, we'll get to the actual execution of the building. And as God lays it out, again, he's just going to go back through and, and basically in some places verbatim, say what what was already laid out when Moses was on Mount Sinai um, doing that. So part of the question is, why does God do that? And and, and so many times um, in the Bible and and through the Old Testament, especially, we'll see that. We'll see in Genesis where we get something laid out and then the very same thing in the same chapter and the next chapter is given us sometimes verbatim in that way. And I think for 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 this, it's the um, the first part of it is God telling us what to do. And then the second part is him recording the nation of Israel and the 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 artists, as he calls them, or the artisans of, of, of craft craftsmanship actually doing the ministry. And something that's been heavy on my heart personally, and whenever I preach, I always preach to myself. That's the way it always works. I'm always living what I'm preaching because, you know, God is doing it that way. But um, one of the... Um, one of the pitfalls, I think, and one of the downsides, one of the things that we have to be and I have to be careful of is because um, the ministry that God's given me, the heart that God's given me is is such an emphasis upon the Word of God and for each one of you to be in the Word of God and read the Word of God and study the Word of God and know the Word of God. And and yet, we we can't have that apart from what James says, that without faith or without works, faith is dead. And so um, making sure that we're not um, hears of the word only, but also what doers of the word. And that, that's, that's the lesson. And that's the thing is that God records first the, the hearing of the word and the applic or the, uh, not the application yet, but the instruction of the word and the, the marching orders. And then he records for us where we're going to get to today, the actual application of it. And so for you and your life, it is important. It's important that we sit and we study and we read the Word of God. We get a, we get an hour together to, to go through the Word. That There's no better way to spend that hour than reading and studying and, and, and knowing the Word of God. 
Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And one of the things that we've already unpacked as we go through the Old Testament is that so many of these stories that we just read and God puts them in our heart, they, they, they serve a purpose in our lives. We, we read a story of, of, of um, Joseph and going into the pit and, and the whole trial of Joseph's life. And, and, and we don't even know how that physically and literally works its way out in our lives. But having that in our heart, it, it comes out in our lives. It affects our lives. It, it's powerful. It's the way that God works in taking the word of God. But at the same time, you know, um, th- this video illustrates it really good. But the whole idea is that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that's something that I don't know, maybe I'm feeling convicted and, and obviously I am because it's something that God has been speaking to my heart that, that even as a church, as a people, as an individual, you know, where are we, what are we doing? Where, where can we be doing better? Where, where can we be the arms and the legs of the Lord in our community and serving and in not just spending a lot of time um, talking about the word and studying the word, but actually doing the word. So this is a little funny story. I shared this a couple Sundays ago. Probably a lot of you guys already seen it, but it was pretty, uh, pretty right on for where we are tonight. So I wanted you guys just to check this out because maybe there's somebody in here who didn't see it. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says, right? Most of us have played that unless you're really young because there's no app for it. Is Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with Scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. How many of you guys are familiar with Francis Chan's uh, testimony? Anybody? Let me tell you just a little bit about Francis Chan. Now, I think that for everybody, you know, God's got to speak to your heart and our heart. And, I, and there is um, a, a, a biblical function of the local church. And, and, and for me personally, I feel very called to um, serve in the role as a function of the local church. Um, Francis Chan was a pastor of a, of a huge church in Southern California, um, north in, in Southern California, Simi Valley area. Um, and the church was, was growing and exploding and, you know, Francis Chan's a super dynamic speaker and, and communicator and, um, and everywhere he went, you know, stuff just, just exploded. And in the middle of his ministry, he, he left the church in Simi Valley and, and with no real 
direction other than he just felt like, you know, he came and he, he, he read the commentaries on what the verses said and what they meant. And everybody agreed with him and he came and he delivered the word. And, you know, but he, 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 he felt like God was calling him to do something more. And God raised up another pastor to stay there in the local church, and he ended up doing some missions work. And they went to San Francisco, of all places, is where God led him, him and his wife, and just started walking around and going on the streets and, and, and trying to make disciples and, and, and doing something really radical. He, he wrote a book. Um, he's authored the book. I've recommended it. I think we've, we've done through parts of it here, but it's um, Crazy Love familiar with it if you haven't read it you can check it out crazy love and he made seven million dollars on the the book and so he gave away anybody want to guess how much of that seven million he gave away that's right seven million dollars so he gave away every dollar he made on the book to missions to work um in africa and different places and he was on he was on a missions trip in africa and there was um he was there was some uh uh Something that just rocked him to the core, and it was a place where there was sex trafficking going on, and there was men that were sleeping with underage women and girls, and um, it just rocked his life. And he came back and left his church, and now he's out. Just he still does speaking engagements and travels, and but um, just kind of that 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 heart of um, when I read this book, am, am I doing what it says? Part of the conviction came because. Um, some Jehovah Witnesses had came. This is kind of where God began to really prick his heart. Some Jehovah Witnesses came, and, and he sat down with them, and he began to speak to them. And he told the Jehovah Witnesses, I challenge you, look, just read the New Testament. And what does it say? What, what, what do you get from it if you just read the New Testament? And he said, that question started plaguing me. What do I get from it if I read the New Testament? And, and, and he felt like what he found that, that he got from it, he wasn't living out and doing and that and like he said the the call and so many times it is that way you guys the the bible says that that we should that each one of us should go and make disciples that each one of us should go and and love our neighbor as ourself and 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 we understand it and we study it and you know what what did we do in our men's group first week we memorized it first assignment i gave out memorize this verse go into all nations those two verses go into all nations make disciples of all tribes tongues and nations teaching them all things that i've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the father and son and the holy spirit and then the other one was to love the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself and and, and we memorize it but how but do we do it do we do we apply it does it does our does our sunday change our monday and if your sunday doesn't change your monday then then your monday don't count and I think for, for all of us, and, and I think his, his story is a little radical. It's a cool story, but, and you have to be called to that. Not, not everybody could do that. Not everybody's supposed to do that. But as each one of us just get out that mirror, I guess, and, and, and just self-assess. And as we read the New Testament, doing those things. All right. Amen? All right. So we're going to pick up where we somewhat left off last week um, in chapter 33. I'm going to highlight. We're going to be in verse 12. And then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, 
And you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation your peop- is your people. And he said, my presence go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, I want you to underline it, highlight it, 3315. And he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And so we, we could spend, and we did last week, a ton of time on the idea of God's presence in your life, in my life, and, and everything that you do, and everything that you are, and every call, and every gift. It, it's the presence of God that makes the difference. There was a um, new pastor at a young church, and he, he came, and he was going to preach his first sermon, and he came down the aisle, and he had his chest out and he was excited and he was going to tell everybody and preach his first sermon. And he got up and he fumbled over his notes and he dropped his papers and he got them all mixed up. And he fell over trying to pick his notes up and finally just put his head down and just in humility walked out. And this wise old guy at the very back said, if you walked in the way that you're walking out right now, your sermon would have went great. You know, and that in, in just that, that it's not about you or him that it's about the Lord and it's about the Lord's presence. And that's how you have success. When, uh, when I first moved here, Pastor Terry asked me to cover and teach at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. And I was, you know, I was, I have this little saying, my brother was here at the time. He had come and spent a week with me and, uh, and and he was asking me about it. And I, and I just told him the same thing. And about a year later, we were having a conversation and he said, you know, you must've told me about 25 times that week this thing as we were having this conversation a year later and he said you said over and over and over again when I asked you how's it going to go or what do you feel it's like uh, well if the Lord shows up it's going to be great <laughs> and if he doesn't then you know uh, I'll fall over and, and crash and, and that, that's always the way that life goes if the Lord shows up and if God's presence goes with us then, then it's going to be great on that um, just a quick note Lydia's dad uh, my pastor our sending pastor. He's coming out tomorrow. He'll be here. And we're going to be um, beating feet tomorrow and, and looking at um, some properties. And so we've been still kind of keeping the door open. We kind of wanted to get through the winter. and um, But as we get into the spring and summer, we want to continue to knock on those doors and see what God wants to do. Um, the church is, um, as of today, um, we have about just just shy of a hundred grand in the bank. That's the most we've ever had. And we gave away more money this last year. In 2016, we gave away, absolutely gave away more money than we've ever given away. $10,000 at one time. Um, and, and our overall bottom line budget today is is biggest it's been in four years. So, you know, a hundred grand um, sounds like a lot of money in, in some respects, you know. And, and then on the other hand, if, if, if God opens a door for us to move or build or do something, you know, you can't turn a shovel for a hundred grand. You can't, you know, a hundred grand is the paper that it costs to, to get ready to turn a shovel. So, you know, God's going to continue to have to do something miraculous and, and something big. But we got a couple um, ideas and options. How many of you guys remember, how many of you guys went with us when we originally looked at the, um, that, that gym building? Before we ended up at, at the furniture building, the original spot was we were looking at the... So he said, Dad, when I talked to Dad today, he said, well, let's go back and... Just look at it again. You know, maybe wasn't the time. Maybe the guy's motivated. The price is going to come down. Maybe something happened. And let's go check it out. So made an appointment to go uh, check it out tomorrow. 
And then I just got a call like 10 minutes ago, and they said, gym building sold. So it's not that, but that's good. Like, I'm not bummed out. That, that building is, is crazy. But um, there are a couple other options. And, and still my heart, which, which I'm, you know, I always have a champagne taste on a beer budget. Is that the old saying goes? Um, I want to build ground up. You know, that, that's my heart. And we, there's some residential property over in the, uh, the area behind the movie theaters that's developing now. The, if you go back to Drew, Drew Bay, uh, the realtor kind of, I guess on the down low, told me, now I'm telling all you guys, that um, there's, a, there's a housing and building development that's, that's top, you know, high end that's going in right there where the, the road that goes behind the movie theaters and wraps around and heads due east where it hits Drew Bay. Right behind there, they're going to put a school and tons of stuff is going in, a big, huge development in there. And so, but on this side of that, all that whole corridor all the way back to the movie theater, there's property on both sides of the street that's residential. It's on the right side of town. That's So we'll check that out tomorrow. So keep us in prayer for that tomorrow as we move forward on that. And that as we move and as we seek it, again, the, the whole idea was that God's presence go with us and that if God goes, then we want to go. So then let, let's let's jump down. I just want to highlight that. We did that. And then in 34, we, we get this um, in 33 and 34. We, we get this somewhat of a what I call a blank check. There's, there's two blank checks given in the Bible. Um, Moses is going to get one right here. Anybody know who got the other blank check in the Bible where God said, what do you want to ask? And I'll give it to you. Solomon. And what does Solomon ask for? Women. And I'm just kidding. He got women on his own. But he, a thousand of them. But that was his downfall, not his strength. But he asked for wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom and not riches and glory, I'm also going to add to you riches and glory. And, and the other one is Moses. And God asks Moses basically the same thing or the same thing transpires where Moses gets to ask God what he wants. And Moses doesn't ask for wisdom. Moses asks for what? Moses says, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. And, and in this whole context of the... God being pretty, and I'm just, I'm, I'm using anthropomorphic terms, so just bear with me as I go through this, and um, that it's not theologically accurate as we go through this idea, but God was upset with the nation of Israel. They, they, he came, they came down, Moses came off the mountain, and they were dancing nakedly around the golden calf that they had formed, singing, Born to be Wild. And, and then the next chapter, God moves out of the city, if you will, and Moses moves his presence and his, te- his tabernacle, his tent, outside of the city, away from that area. And the new meeting spot with God is now out. It's open for the people to come, although there's no record that they actually went out and met with the Lord there. And then Moses, the Lord tells Moses in the next, the next line, Moses, you and the people of uh, the nation of Israel, you guys go, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send my angels with you, but I'm not going. And that brought us to the point where Moses said, Lord, if you don't go, I don't want to go. And then, and then the Lord relents or says, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you. And then Moses says, but Lord, I, I need something. The Lord says, Moses, what do you want? He says, Lord, I want to see you. And the, and the thing about Moses' response to the Lord is when you love somebody, when you really love somebody, what's the greatest commandment again, by the way? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Why, why, why is John the beloved disciple? Why is John the one that was laying on Jesus' bosom? Why is John, of all the apostles, of all the 12 disciples, apostles, 
Why, why when, when they wanted a favor, they went to the other disciples went to John and said, Hey, John, you go ask Jesus. You're kind of his favorite. And, and what, did Jesus pick John out of a hat? And just maybe John had a cool beard like Smitty and he just liked him better than, than the others or what? It, it had nothing to do with Jesus. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And as we know that it's biblical, it's, it's accurate. Every one of you in this room are as close to the Lord Jesus Christ as you want to be. Nobody has superpowers. Nobody has a cape. Nobody has, you know, Elijah was not a superhero Elijah was a man of like passions, is what the Bible tells us. And Elijah did crazy miracles. And you look at the life of Elijah and think, well, that guy's like super Bible hero guy. John, he was there when Jesus was there. But the Bible makes it very clear that that those men were exactly like you and I had the same opportunity. And they made decisions. They, they drew near to God. And the reason why John, why, why John was the beloved disciple was because John loved Jesus more than the other disciples. And his heart was knit to him. And he just had such love of God and Jesus that Jesus just met him where he was. And Moses, the same way. Moses is that, that same character. King David, the same way. How in the world did King David get away with what he got away with in his life and, and go down in history as a man after God's own heart? He just loved God. He had such a love for God. And so in, in, in demonstrating, illustrating that is when God gave him this blank check and he said, I want to see you. Of course, you wanna, when you love somebody, you want to see them. Take Matt and Rachel, for example. You know what happens when you first start dating and you first start loving each other? You want to spend every minute together, right? All you can think about. You just want to be together. And, you know, you spend the afternoon together. You spend all day together. And as soon as you get home, what do you do? You pick up the phone and call them. You know, and then you're laying on the phone, drools running out of your mouth. You're falling asleep. Nobody's saying nothing. But you just, you want to be with them because you love them. And then, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, if, if, the simplicity, this is, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. This is about marriage now, but um, the, the reality is if, if husbands, if you did what you did when you were dating and courting, if you did that all your married life, you would have a great married life. But somewhere along the line, you don't want to lay on the phone and drool so, so you can be near them. You want to say, hey, what do you want? You're bugging me. Like, leave me alone, you know. And But if we did what we did when we were courting all the way through marriage, we'd be all right. So... Moses gets this, this opportunity to, to see the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, as we know, Lord, you, um, no man can see my face and live. Now, in another sentence, we just got through reading where it said that Moses, the Lord, talk, God talked to Moses face to face as a man talks to a man. The word face to face, the actual meaning of that word face is mouth. He spoke to him mouth to mouth as a man speaks to man. And yet we, we know that, that, Moses never saw God's face. No man can see God's face and live. It's illustrated multiple times in the Old and New Testament, this idea. So God says, Moses, you can't see me and live. But I'm going to put my hand over your face. Talked about it last week. Does God have a hand with five digits like you and I? Who knows? Probably not. Probably going to get to heaven and um, your concept or your idea. Now, I think if you could really... Imagine and, 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 and in your mind, close your mind and see what God looked like. He's probably not that big of a God or that powerful, that really cool of a God. And when you really do get to see him and it completely blows you away. But he says he's going to put his hand over Moses's face. And what Moses is going to see is his train or, or his um, 
wake like when a boat goes by as, as he goes by. And, and as he sees God, God proclaims in what we get here in nine statements, the nature of God. And anywhere where we study and we look at the nature of God, this is where it comes from. And every one of them in context has to do with the mercy of God. And in context, all the way through 33, 34, it's the mercy, it's the mercy, it's the mercy. And then that brings us to, as he goes through the, that, that list of nine things, I just want to share it with you guys real quick. In verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud, 34, 5, with him, and there proclaimed the name of the Lord. The word Lord there is what? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that mean? Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that's what we call the tetragrammaton or the um, the name of the Lord. It's four Hebrew letters, Y-H-V-H. And sometimes you'll see Y-H-W-H for Yahweh or Yahweh. Um, the pronunciation of God is unknown to anybody. It was believed that only the high priest once a year would pronounce the name of God. And because the, the Jews um, reverenced God so highly, they, didn't, they left the vowels out intentionally in his name so that somebody could not mispronounce it. You guys ever seen a Jew write the word God? It's G, what? Dash, D. And that's, that's in Jewish custom or idiom so that they don't mispronounce or use the name of God that way. And Yahweh was the same way. So we've lost the consonants and we don't know what they are. And so everybody fights about how the pronunciation, the Jehovah Witnesses claim it's Jehovah. They're, they're off of, at least because there's no J sound in, in Hebrew. The, the, it has to be Yah, there's no J sound. Um, is it Yahweh? Is it... Um, however, so when you see that, that's the tetragrammaton that came from where? A little burning bush. The bush was burning. And Moses said, Lord, what is your name? What do I tell him that sent me? And God said, my name is I am. And Moses said, okay, cool. You are what? I am. I know I'm asking you who you are. Well, you are, I am what? I am that I am. And that's, that's the name of God, Yahweh. So he says, so the Lord came in verse number six. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So... Um, we spent quite a bit of time on the third and fourth generation phrase because it all is in the positive, 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 positive as we see the nature of God in Exodus 34 until we get to the fact that it says he's going to visit the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Completely unpacked it last week. If you weren't here, in a nutshell, he's going to visit them to, to reach out to them, to love them. And, and even to the third and fourth generation of, of, of people that are denying him or won't walk with him in his mercy and in his grace, he's coming to them and his presence is going to be with them. And it's a positive thing. It's not a generational curse. It has nothing to do with generational curses. Um, this, this idea permeated through all through Jewish history. And finally, God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel and tells him in the book of Ezekiel, hey, that I had enough of that generational curse stuff. Put a stop to it. Stop saying it. Stop repeating it. Stop using it. 
it's, 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 it's not there. You can read it in, in Ezekiel's thing. But that's not what the Lord was saying at all. He's not going to make you an alcoholic because your father was an alcoholic. That's not in the nature or the characteristic of God. Now, we have natural laws that we talked about last week. If you grew up in a home where your dad drank every day and night, your propensity then to to follow in that lifestyle, yes, it increases. But it's not God visiting your father's sins upon you. It just, it just doesn't work that way. There's not, it's not biblical. There's no generational curse. So... Um, it's, it's actually in mercy that he's going to visit for the generations. And then in verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before you. All you people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. For, this, for it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. Now, I would say that those, those miracles and those marvels that God promises here in Ezekiel 34 or in Exodus 34 to do continue until this day. I think of the six-day war. I think of the different battles to this day that God um, fights and that God um, does. I, I have a newspaper article, a Palestinian newspaper, posted it on my Facebook, and one of the terrorists is quoted as saying, it's as if God flicks our missiles out of the air. <laughs> Terrorist says that. Duh. Because <laughs> you know what happens? God flicks their missiles out of the air as they're going by. So they're shooting their rockets and their missiles, and they're on target. And all of a sudden, they flip out and do something weird, and, and they can't figure out what's going on, nor do they repent or change. <clears throat> Lydia's um, best friend who was in our, in our wedding, um, Jessica and Quincy, they've been here before. Jessica and Quincy, they, he shared his testimony here, but Jessica and Quincy were in um, um, Carson City, Nevada on a Sunday morning coming home from a vacation in a IHOP restaurant. And a gentleman came in the front door with an AK-47. And they were sitting at a table here. And the, the table right next to him was full of military personnel. And he began firing into that table, hitting a few of the people in that table in the head. And, and Jessica and her daughter are watching somebody closer than, than you head explode in, in IHOP. And he, and he began to shoot in a circle. And when he got back to right where they were is when he ran out of bullets. And um, their daughter was um, third grade, fourth grade at the time. And um, long story. I won't tell you the whole story today. It's very interesting. Uh, Quincy shared it with us before in their testimony. But um, um, Madison, um, the, they, they wanted to get her counseling, obviously, and help. And um, she was so amazing through the whole thing. And, and, and she, was, she just wasn't rocked at all. And they're so worried about her. And so, you know, and thinking, expecting certain things out of her. And she, she was just still so happy-go-lucky and was cool and was happy. And they're thinking, well, it's hidden somewhere. There's problems. We've got to get to it. And we've got to deal with it. And she was going to the counselor and finally got to the point where it was like, she's fine. Like God, and, and she was giving testimony that, oh, Jesus was with me. She said, she said Jesus just flicked those bullets right off of our table. Because a few bullets had hit their table that they had ducked under. And, they, and they, they went against science what happened to the bullets. And the way they should have hit and went through. And, and they did weird things. And Madison told the, told the counselor, I think in the last session, when they finally said, okay, she's okay. That Jesus was there flicking the bullets off of her table. And so um, 
So those, those miracles of God continue this day. Verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. And so this was a... Um, something that the nation of Israel was not to make covenants with these nations. And so as they were going in, God was going to drive out these, these Canaanites and Hivites and Perizzites and Jebusites and flashlights, as you guys know, and termites and all these, these ites that were in the land. And God had told the people, when you go in, you are not to make covenants or agreements with them. You guys remember the story? It, it's going to come back and haunt them. And there, there's a time where um, these 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 travelers come and they they make their shoes torn and their clothes and they grow their beards and they say, "We've traveled from a far, far country, and we 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 we've heard of your uh, of your exploits and we want to make a treaty with you." And they said, "Well, they've traveled from a long ways and 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 they went ahead and made a treaty with them." And it turns out it was a lie. They were like neighbors that had, had shammed this thing up to come. And, and, and God's going to deal with them later. And God had warned them. And whenever, whenever we're disobedient to those things that God lays out, it, it comes back to bite us. And so um, here's where he tells them. In verse 13, he says, And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Does that bother anybody? I don't know why, and, and probably none of you folks, but everybody wants to um, take this verse, and it's always the atheists, it's always the haters, but that that God is a jealous God and make God um, somewhat petty because he says multiple times in the Bible that he's a jealous God. There, there's even been certain Bible translators and translations that have, have taken this word jealous and tried to use a different word because of the connotation with jealous. But the reality is, the truth is, jealous is the right word. It's a good word. And, and it's exactly the word that describes how God feels about you and I. He's jealous for you. Now, when, when you think of the context of a, of a husband and a wife, you know, if a woman says to me, oh, uh, my husband, he's, he's never jealous of me. I think, oh, you poor thing. Or vice versa. If you love somebody, I'm not going to share my wife with anybody. I'm very jealous of her because I love her, not willing to share her. And God's not willing to share you with any foreign or false God. You're his. He loves you. He's jealous of you and rightfully so. Because if you love somebody, then then they're exclusive to you and, 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 and for him. And he doesn't want us going a whoring out after false gods and false idols. And he says, when you get to those places, he wants you to destroy their altars and destroy their their things and, and completely eradicate them. Don't adopt them. Don't um, reform them, but get rid of them, destroy them. In the same vein, Jesus said what about about sin? He said to eradicate sin from your life. He said to annihilate it. To, he said, if your right hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. And these, these really, um, oh, what's the word? Really um, strong language to describe what God wants you to do um, with sin in your life. Now, you can't take sin and reform it. 
You can't take sin and, and, and back it down a little bit. You, you have to get rid of it. You have to eradicate it. You have to annihilate it. You have to cut it off. And any sin that you leave in your life and you, you just try to curb it and you just try to, to, to diminish it, 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 it doesn't work. It's not, it's not what God's laid out. And, and here he tells them the same thing. Jesus tells us the same thing, that sin in your life, you have to eradicate it. You have to get it out. And in verse um, 16, he says, And you take of his daughters, and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters, play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molden gods for yourself. So we get the Old Testament equivalent of, do not be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. Why is that so foreign for Christians? You know, here where we live, it's difficult. We're, we're less than 1% evangelical Christians. We're raising sons and daughters in, in an area where they have to find a bride in 1% of the population. And so we compromise as parents. We compromise as individuals. But the reality is do not compromise in this area. Do not allow your children to compromise in this area. It, it, it's not, you know, when you put it in the context of, of, of the, the pagan woman or the, the harlot or the seductress, go, go and read the Proverbs. Just, just start in chapter 1 and, and, and start to count how many times God warns us of the seductress and the pagan woman. Her bed leads to hell, leads to Sheol, that, that she, she pulls you in like a trap and, and just over and over and over and over again. How did it work out for Samson? Samson, what is your strength? That's got to be the stupidest story you ever heard, right? Like everything he tells her, she does. And he keeps telling her. And, and, then, and then when she finally cut his hair, the sad narrative is it says that Samson rose up as, a, as at other times. And yet this time they, they bound him. They took out his eyes. And that's what sin does. It binds, it grinds, and it blinds. And what did they do? They took Samson and they put him on one of them grinding wheels, blinded him, and that's what sin does in our lives. And that's what, coincidentally, is the result of a pagan woman. So stay away from him. Just kidding. Do not be unequally yoked together. It's tough. I understand it's tough, but it is so important. Parents, young people, people, Wait, God has somebody, God is capable, even in our 1% land, God is capable to bring and find a mate, the right mate. Look at Matt and Rachel. Did it right, met in church, and, and, and God's amazing blessing of, of being equally yoked together. And so, so it's tough. You know, part, part of the, I'm getting off really now, so I'll just keep going. But yeah, let's pray. I mean, let's not pray. Let's keep going. You know, it's, it's part of it's it's super important it is important for our church you know like even that we play cupid a little bit you know and that we encourage christians to hang out with christians and christians to date christians and christians and there's nothing wrong with that and here's the thing that happens in in church so many times whether it's a young person whether it's a divorced person a single person um desires a mate and and they come and they feel like 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 it's wrong that that they want a husband or a wife or that they want companionship and they're supposed to just be holy or whatever and, and righteous and not feel that way. And, you know, and, and so many times I tell people so many times, God gave you that desire. It's not wrong. 
It's godly. It's, it's everybody wants and needs. And there are few, very few, who have the gift, as Paul did, the gift of celibacy. Praise God, I never received that gift. But, but unless, unless God has given someone that gift, then he's created them to desire, to want, to need companionship. And so, you know, reaching out to that and, and, and encouraging people, though, to wait. Because so many times God brings or Satan brings counterfeit to distract from what God has and what God's intended. And the counterfeit can be a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. But I want to tell you, a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like what? Looks like a sheep. Looks like a sheep. And, and everything looks great, and you're excited for this person because they have somebody, and they're lonely, and, and yet the person is not a Christian. And what, what I tell people is, you know, the, the bottom line test is this. Well, not the bottom line test, but this is an easy test I, I, give, I give people sometimes. I say, when the day you met that person, what church were they going to? Well, they started coming with me. Okay, then they're not a Christian. Or they weren't a Christian the day you met them, and now you're missionary dating. And then so many people want a missionary date. Oh, I'll just bring them to church and then they'll get saved and then we'll be equally yoked and then we could get and we could go on with life. And it just doesn't work out. If they're not serving the Lord the day you met them, then wait. All right, I don't got any of those people in here today. But anyways, in verse 18, it says, The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I command you in the appointed time of the month, Abib. For in the month of Abib, you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among the, your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, you shall break his neck, and the firstborn of your sons shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. You guys are thinking, how in the world is this guy going to get through the next six chapters the way he's going? Um, so this idea of the firstborn that opens the womb is God's. I, I, I have a... Um, you know, I have a firstborn son and pretty cool testimony just that, that from this idea that Lydia and I from before birth, you know, we dedicated Luke to the Lord. Praise God. I was walking with the Lord in those days when my, my wife was pregnant with my firstborn son and, you know, we prayed for him in the womb and we, we, we were going to name him Samuel, but, um, because of that same idea, because the, the, you guys know the story of Samuel. His mom said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And that's the whole idea of Samuel and the meaning of Samuel is that, that, that God has blessed me and I will bless and I will give back. And, and Hannah literally gave Samuel to the Lord. And when he was weaned, she went and dropped him off in the house of the Lord and, and went back after being barren all those years. And so for that same idea that Samuel, which means dedicated to God, um, that Luke was going to be dedicated to the Lord. And um, when Lydia was was in labor and she had a hard labor with Luke. She was in labor like 20 hours. We went to the hospital the first time they sent us home and we went back and they told us to go walk. And so we're walking and but we stayed in the hospital and walked around this hospital just in case, you know, but it was 20 hours. And, um, and then uh, long story short, but basically, um, Lydia will tell the story better than I will, but, um, the baby's heart rate dropped and, um, he was starting to flatline in the womb and the nurses and the um, doctors were kicking everybody out and they were rushing the emergency team in. They were seconds away from rushing her to emergency C-section and, and it looked like we were going to lose him. 
and I, I went in the bathroom and in, in our room and I can remember getting on my knees and, and saying from my heart and meaning it and I said, Lord, I, I, I gave him to you. He's yours. And if you take him right now, I, 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 I won't recant. He's yours. I gave him to you and whatever you do with him is, is your will and, and, and because I've given him to you, I can't take him back now. And so, Lord, he's yours. And, and if you take him now, then he's yours. You do what you want with him. And eventually she came through and healthy firstborn son born a couple hours later. All right. Dedicated to the Lord. And then he goes on and it says, um, we're going to try to jam up. Oh, sorry. So um, we, we had, God had already, we had already decided on Luke. So L- L- God spoke to Lydia and to me, like when we were first dating, that, that we both loved the name Luke and that we were going to, that his name was going to be Luke. It was always going to be Luke. But then as she was born and we took that idea of firstborn, and then we're thinking, well, should we call him Samuel? Because that's the, that's the heart of this child for us. And the way the Lord was speaking to us is that we want this firstborn son to be dedicated to the Lord. So should we name him Samuel? And no, let's not because God spoke to us Luke a long time ago. That's how it happened. So his name was Luke from, from way back. But thanks. I, I meant to clear that up. And so thanks for asking. You know, I started to tear up, so I wanted to keep moving on. But yeah, thanks for stopping me and asking that. Verse 22, it says, And you shall observe feast of the week, first fruits of wheat, harvest and the feast of in gathering in the year in three times of the year all your men shall appear before the lord the lord god of israel for i will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders neither neither will any man covet your land when you go up and appear before the lord your god three times in the year so the jews supposed to appear before the lord three times in what so at the feast the different feast the one that 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 is required you know, as much as possible is the feast of Passover, which is the big boy. And so how many times did Jesus go up at Passover and, and, and celebrate Passover as a young Jewish boy growing up? Doesn't say. <laughs> I'm assuming every year, but the Bible only tells us that at 12 years old, he went up at Passover. But it, it would not be... Inco- the, the rule and the law of Moses was that if, you know, financially you lived far farther away and you couldn't go that there was provision for you where God wouldn't, you know, you didn't have to go. But depending on their financial situation, it would probably not be unfathomable that Jesus went up every year of his life to celebrate Passover. And it goes on and it says in verse 26, the first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring to the house of the Lord, your God, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's why to this day when Israel, you don't get what together meat and dairy products so ryan and jess can testify that any anywhere we went where it was kosher you go and you have the breakfast in the morning and you don't get meat and dairy in the same product in the same day together or in the same meal together everything is for this this lame reason that they take this to mean that if you if you put cheese on a hamburger and the cheese came from the mother and and you know that you're boiling a, a goat in its mother's milk So crazy Jews. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So there was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets, the words of the commandment of the covenant, the 10 commandments. So Moses went how long without food and water? Dang. Now, I, I would see where he didn't eat bread. Like, you could probably 
barely survive, I guess, at 40 days with it, but no bread and water? Is that physically possible? It's not. It's really not. Without 40 days without bread and water is, is by... And how old was Moses at this time? 80 years old. He's in his 80s, right? His life breaks up into three perfect 40-year periods, 40, 80, and 120. 40 years old, he left Egypt. 80 years old, God called him to lead the nation of Israel. He died at 120. Um, so so this, is, this is a supernatural fast. One other person is recorded in the Bible that had a 40-day and 40-night, no food or water fast, and that was Jesus. And again, there was, I think, a... a, a at least a a portion of supernatural sustenance given here to Moses to be able to go 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. So the only other person I know that can fast like that is Smitty. So um, Smitty and Moses and Jesus. But yeah, 40 days and, and 40 nights. What's, what's, what's a trip is after 40 days and 40 nights of no food, you think he'd look like death warmed over. But check it out what happened. In verse 29, now, so, now it was, so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand, that he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and there were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them and Aaron and all all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whatever the children of Israel saw, the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with them. Hey, write this in your, in your margin there. It might be already somewhere in your middle margin, but write Second Corinthians um, chapter 3, uh, beginning precisely in verse 7. So 2 Corinthians 3, 7. It's some New Testament commentary on this particular thing and why Moses' um, face was veiled. And, and well, let's just do it. We, we got a minute. I was going to take five minutes and just skim through 35 through 40. Um, but let's, let's just do it real quick. It's important. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 is the commentary on this, that Old Testament section we just read. It says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, so that's the law that was written on stones, the ministry of death is the law, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadfast, steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And so if that was the result of Moses receiving the law, which which is death, how much more will, will grace lead to life and a glow? For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels... For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we, are, we use great boldness of speech. 
unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. So he didn't um, have to put the veil on his face to um, hide the glory so that they wouldn't see it and, and, and give him undue glory and credit. The problem was that the, 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 the glory would fade. And because the people were fickle and um, he had to hide the fact that the glory was fading and that they wouldn't, you know, they would turn on him or something or because of their their sin and, and their fickleness, he hid it so that they didn't see it when it faded. But their minds were blinded. And here's the just the New Testament um, application to the Jews to this day. But their mind were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the ready in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror, the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the spirit is of the Lord. So the 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 Bible says that the Jews to this day are veiled. That that why do they not understand? How can they look at at at, at Isaiah? How can they look at the different scriptures? How can they read Genesis twenty two and not admit, not see that it's talking about the Lord Jesus? Because the Bible says that they have a veil over their eyes, and even to this day, when they read these things, that they're veiled. And one day that veil will be removed. But in this this Old Testament picture, that their eyes are veiled. All right. Now we got four minutes and we're going to get it done. Um, So in Exodus, again, 35 through 40 is now a um, repeat. One sec is a repeat of the things that um, we've already gotten through um, verbatim. But there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight. Then Moses, verse 35, gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath rest of the Lord. Whoever does any work, it shall be, he shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So we just have, again, Sabbath reiterated, no kindling of a fire. Today, if someone wants to observe the Sabbath, uh, according to the law, I suggest that you don't drive a car. Because if you're kindling a fire by driving a car. So for any of your Seventh-day Adventist friends or anybody who says that they observe the Sabbath, ask them how they, how they, how they get around on the Sabbath. And if they drive a car, you can, you can let them know they're kindling a fire and therefore they're breaking the Sabbath. In verse 4 it says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring... Of what kind of heart? What's the heart of giving? Come on, y'all. What's the heart of giving? It says right here. I just I'll underline it for yourselves and then answer the question. This this is the Old Testament heart of God. Now, God is... he. At what point did God change? What, what do you think? Somewhere like in between the Old and New Testament, Matthew, before that? Like where did this Old Testament God of, of law and death change to the New Testament God of grace and mercy. Anybody know about what time in history it happened? 
It never happened, right? It never happened. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And if you just read the Old Testament, you'll see the heart of God that is so consistent all the way through. And he doesn't change. His heart doesn't change. He is the same. It's the same God of grace and mercy and compassion in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. And this whole idea is that God wants us to give from a willing heart is is from Genesis to Revelation. And this is the idea. This is so cool right here. So th- I'm just going to highlight this first part, you guys, and then we're going to be done. If you want to go through on your own, you, you, like I said, you've read it all. And basically what's going to end up happening is he's just going to go back through the articles for the temple and the tabernacle. He's raising up people and he's giving them one of the cool things that happens in the Old Testament is he pours out the spirit upon certain men and, and, and we'll be introduced here in a minute to women as well who he's given special gifts of craftsmanship. So the guys that actually built the ark, who actually built the covenant, who actually crafted the brass and the gold and, and the, the, the tent and the fabrics were given special gifts of God. And not only were they given, and then when God gave them gifts, what was cool was those that were given gifts were instructed to then take those gifts and share them with other people. And so the men that were gifted in the craftsmanship and the men that were gifted in certain areas were then supposed to share those gifts with other people. And he says, give with the willing heart and let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen of goat's hair. Um, So this is a a love offering, okay? This is not a tithe. It's not um, in the biblical context of, of, of what was a tithe. It was above and beyond a tithe. It was a love offering that was supposed to be given willingly. And, and, and where did all this stuff come from, by the way? Came from, came from Egypt. All this stuff is the stuff they stole from Egypt. Just kidding. They didn't steal it. The Egyptians gave it to them. <laughs> but they went and they said, hey, I like that bracelet. I'm, I'm getting ready to go cross this Red Sea. Why don't you give that to me? Because I'm taking it with me. And, and by this point, it says the Egyptians were willing to give them all the stuff. And when they left, they took everything, all the gold and silver and fine stuff. And the Egyptians willingly gave it to them as they left. So they had all this stuff. And then when Moses is calling for it, And all these things in verse 10, it says, All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make... All of you who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tents, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets. The ark, its poles with the mercy seat, the veil of the covering... And the table of its poles, all its utensils and the, sh- and the showbread, also the lampstand for the utensils, its lamps, the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen of the door, the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offerings, and then, and then on and on to verse 20. And those are all the things that, it, that and again, he's going to then start going through one at a time as, as they went. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone, everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the... So it doesn't say that necessarily every one of them did it. Now, I don't know that everyone didn't, but, but it makes a point to say that, that God used those that were stirred and those whose spirit was willing... And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. And that is repeated over and over again and brought earrings and nose rings, 
Nose rings, that's not a new thing, men, ladies. Rings and necklaces and jewelry of gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord and every man with whom was found blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skin of rams, badger skin brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver bronze brought the Lord's offering and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought them. The children of Israel brought freewill offerings to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing, again in verse 29, to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. Um, what, what's interesting is that the God only used, and we'll, we'll, we'll stop there, and basically, like I said, then it's just going to get into the, the, the guys God calls and then, um, as we get to 36 and the rest of, of repeating some of the things. So God um, God only used the ones that were willing. Now, now the whole idea is, is do not give and do not do something unto the Lord begrudgingly because there's no, there's, no, there's no credit in it. There's no um, heart in it. God's blessing your heart. He's not blessing so much um, the action in itself. You give because you have to and you hate it every time the plate comes by, but you're afraid the guy next to you is looking at you so you drop something in and... You know, or or you come and you serve in the Sunday school, but you're, you're mad the whole time because you got to change diapers and just save it. Seriously, just save it because God's not going to bless it. It's not. And and here's the thing: God's God's work and ministry is going to get done and paid for whether you give or not. And, and that's what happens here. But 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 who did God bless and who did God use? God used those that were willing. And who who got to reap in the reward? Those that that took part. And it got done regardless. So, so if you ever think that, that God needs your participation in giving or doing or serving in order to get his will done, we're mistaken. We get to. We, we, we get to be a part. We, we, you know, we, we have to come with the right heart. Mark Twain. Mark Twain was an interesting fellow. If you guys ever read any Mark Twain stuff, you'll know he wasn't a big fan of church or God. Or um, He tells a story in one of his writings that he, um, he went to a church and he had he had brought a, a thing because he knew the plate was going to come by, and he brought an offering, and he was planning on putting some money in the plate when it went by, and um, and the the preacher got up and went on and on and on about giving, and the the Lord needs your money, and and Mark Twain, who already was a skeptic, um, was so bothered by the whole thing, he said that when the plate came by, he did not only not give the money that he had intended to give, he took some out and put it in his pocket when he went by. So that's why we have covers on ours when we pass them by you. So you can't do that here. I'm just kidding. But it's better not to do it all than to do it with the wrong heart. God just wants your heart. And if, and if your heart is in the wrong place in an area, seek the Lord in that. But but don't do something begrudgingly. It's just not consistent with the Bible. It's not consistent with God. God gives in the area of giving and in serving and doing unto the Lord. The heart is um, hilarious. God loves a hilarious Server, a hilarious giver. Hilarion. The word literally is <laughs> hilariously. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's pray. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. And uh, Lord, we praise you. We ask for your uh, your blessing, Lord God, upon our night. And Lord, I thank you for just the so many powerful lessons right through his exodus and through the old testament as we continue to march through and 
Lord, we pray, um, Lord, that you'd apply them to our lives. And Lord, I do pray that each one of us would, would serve with a willing heart, that we would come and bring the gifts. And Lord, that, that even these that were above and beyond. And Lord, that we would have a heart of joy that, that gets to serve you and gets to come and gets to be a part. And, and Lord, that we would find a place to serve you hilariously and serve you willingly as we see through your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.